Lovely to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's the first time that I've had the privilege of preaching here in Williton since our arrival back. So I'm the John de Boer that Richard was referring to earlier. I grew up here. We haven't, I haven't met everyone. You probably don't all know me. I know some of you, but my wife, Rolanda, and I grew up here. But many years ago, I left from here to go to Victoria to the Reformed Theological College to train there. And from there, we went to Brisbane, back to Geelong, to Tasmania, and I retired about a year or so, a year and a half ago, and now we're back here. And we're back here today to remember, to believe, and to celebrate the wonderful reality of a gruesome truth, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, if we want to think about Jesus' life from start to finish, what we've got is a journey, a journey to the cross. Jesus came on a mission. His mission was to live, but also to die, and as we'll see on Sunday, to rise again. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And we can think of his life as being something like a journey. We know where it started, in Bethlehem there and all of that, but now we need to fast forward some 33 years. And before our first of two readings this morning, I'd just like to fill in some of the gaps. You may not be familiar with the Easter story, or you may. But it's good for us to remember to step back now and try to picture that last supper where Jesus took the Passover meal in the Old Testament time and transformed it to the Lord's Supper as we shall celebrate a little later in the service. But from Gethsemane, sorry, from the supper, he went into Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, we see him as we have never seen him before. Deeply troubled in soul are the words the gospel writers use. He left Gethsemane, was betrayed by a, a kiss, and then, of course, arrested. He was arrested and brought before the Jewish ruling council, or the Sanhedrin, and we read there that there were many, many false witnesses. He was spat on, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was punched. While all of this is going on, Peter, Peter, his disciple, denies him three times and the rest of the disciples flee. He's placed before Pilate, the ruler under the Roman authority at the time. He's sentenced. The soldiers take him. They place a scarlet robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Again, they mock him. They beat, <coughs> excuse me, they beat him and then they take him out to the cross. So that's some journey. And we're going to continue on that journey today. Would you open your Bibles, please, if you have them, or you'll see it up on the screen from Luke's Gospel. That's our focus today. Chapter 23, we're going to start at verse 26. 
But just before we do, I'm going to pray, then I'll read, we'll sing, Georgia will do the second reading, and then I'll come back to preach. Let's take a moment to pause and to pray. Our loving Father in heaven, as we think back to the journey that Jesus took and come now to its climax, we stand on holy ground and we ask that as your word is read by myself and later by Georgia and then preached, that you would remind us this is the living word of the living God. It is a word that is powerful, that is effective, and that we must have. And so this morning, humbly, we ask but one thing. Dear God, please speak to us. We need this word read. We need it preached like we need oxygen. For Jesus' sake, amen. Luke 23, verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, 
today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Dear friends, this is the word of God. We're going to stand and sing. We'll come back to our second reading, the first bit of which will be our focus for today. Today's second Bible reading is continued from the first one, at Luke 23, verses 44. The death of Jesus. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. 
for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The burial of Jesus. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Dear brothers and sisters, young people, and for the boys and girls, I've got some stuff coming up for you, so listen up. I'm sure we've all done it. We've been on a road trip or gone overseas. We've hopped in our car and off we've gone. We've jumped on the plane and away we've gone. And finally, we have arrived at our destination. And really, That's what's going on here. Jesus' life has been a journey to the cross. And now we see him at the destination. And what a shocking destination it is. A cross was a symbol of execution. People died on a cross. It was the most painful, horrific, excruciating death you could ever die. And the Romans had perfected that. And even in the Roman culture of the day, it was not to be talked about. It was for the worst of the worst criminals. And for the Jews, of whom Jesus was one, it was the symbol of a curse. It meant rejection by God, the worst possible thing. Who would want to die on a cross? Jesus. And that begs the question, doesn't it? Why is his cross today remembered right around the world? And it begs more questions. Why is the cross the symbol of the Christian faith? Why do we sing about it? Why do I preach about it? Why do we love to read about it? Because the cross, this cross, is no ordinary cross. And really, that's what we're going to talk about today. Luke 23, 44, 45, 46, 
and our focus is going to be on that cross and we see, and the first thing we see is darkness. It was, oh dear, it was now about noon, we read in verse 44, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun had stopped shining. Let's think about this. It's midday. The sun is at its highest. Daylight is at its brightest. But it's dark. Imagine you were there. What would you be thinking? In the past, some people have said, ah, oh, it was just an eclipse. But it can't be that. Because the time of Passover, which is this time, was full moon and you can't have an eclipse at full moon. And besides, just take a moment to think about the, the eclipse that's going to be viewed from Exmouth and other places. That will last 62 seconds. This went for three hours. Three hours of darkness. What's going on? Well, in our Bible, darkness can mean shameful things, evil things. And of course, when we look at the context here, what's happening that day, the whole of this last day, his betrayal, his arrest, his trials, his beating, his mocking, all of that is dark. It's fitting that when Jesus dies on the cross, it is dark. But there's more the Bible tells us. And now, boys and girls, I want you to think about the ten plagues that came on the land of Egypt in the time of Moses when Moses wanted to take the people out and Pharaoh said, no, there were ten plagues and I want to ask you, what was the second last one? You might remember the blood, the gnats, all of that stuff. What was the second last one? The last one was the worst one. The second last one was... Darkness, good, darkness, but not just dark. Let me read you what Exodus tells us. This was darkness that could be felt. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. That is dark. I'm going to have to ask you to help me. PowerPoint operator lady whose name I forget. <laughs> the blank slide, the black slide where there's nothing. Oh, is that, that's the black, oh dear. I'm sorry. I'm new here. I come from another church where things were different. And <laughs> there it was black. It's meant to be black anyway. Try to imagine. And I don't think we can unless you've been in a mine shaft or to the South Pole where in their winter for three months there is no sun. That must be terrible. The Bible tells us that God is light. But here, it's dark. It's dark because the judgment of God has come on the only one 
who didn't deserve it. What's going on? Well, let me read you what the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's a lot, but it's really all about an exchange. If this is Jesus and this is us, What's going on at the cross is that Jesus gets our sin, we get his righteousness. That's the exchange. So when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we had never sinned and are as pure and beautiful as holy as Jesus Christ himself. That's the exchange. And in the dark, God is pouring his judgment on his son so that he could pour his love into our hearts. On the cross, Jesus suffers the torment of hell, as the Apostles' Creed refers to it. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, it really was a hell of a death. You can say that and you can mean it and it's true. He suffers hell. Why? So that we can go to heaven. He suffers in the dark, and he's separated from God. Why? So that we would never know that sort of darkness and never, ever be separated from God. That's the exchange. That's why this is dark. And my question simply is, do you believe it? Because that will help you see that this is no ordinary cross. It's just dark. But there's more. We go on, and before we do, before I get the slide up, we're going to read about a curtain. But please, please, don't think of your kitchen curtains or your bathroom curtains or your lounge curtains. This is different. This is the temple curtain. Thanks, I'll have that slide. And the curtain of the temple, we read, was torn in two. Now, friends, none of the gospel writers explain this. To help us understand it, and especially for our boys and girls, we need to go back into the Old Testament and we need to remember the temple. In the Old Testament temple, that was God's address. That's where God lived. Well, not really, but you know what I mean. And in that temple, it was a big rectangular building and it was split in half by a curtain. On one side was the Holy of Holies. The priests would go in there and they would do their stuff. But the other side, the most holy place, sorry, I've got that wrong. First one was the holy place. The other one was the Holy of Holies. But only one person, the high priest, could go there and only once a year on the great day of atonement and only with the blood of a sacrifice. Two rooms separated by one curtain. And that curtain said, no entry, no access. You can't come in because of your sin. And the only way in is through the blood of a sacrifice. 
Now, it's so important that we try to picture this curtain. This curtain is huge. It's hard to know exactly how big it is because the Bible doesn't tell us, but it is at least 30 feet or 9 metres wide. That's pretty wide. And it's probably 45 feet or 13 and a half metres high and most likely more. Now, I'm told that this building, floor to ceiling, is 9 metres. If that's right, and I haven't measured it, add half to that again. And that will tell you how high the curtain of the temple is. And most likely, it was at least an inch thick. It was probably much more like a carpet than what we know as a curtain. It may have been thicker, we just don't know. But when Jesus dies, that curtain, that massive 13 plus metre curtain, is torn in two from top to bottom. Now, no man could do that. Unless you had a very long ladder and a very sharp sword, and a whole lot of time. The curtain is torn, Matthew's Gospel tells us, from top to bottom. What is going on? Well, this is God at work. And again, we have to go back into our Old Testament or it makes no sense. But this time, back to the Garden of Eden. Boys and girls, you probably remember Adam and Eve. They lived in this beautiful garden and it was perfect and they were with God and everything was wonderful. But then they ate the fruit and everything went bad. Now we read in Genesis 3 that God banished them from the garden. No access you can't come in because of your sin. And the only way back was through the blood of a sacrifice. Now when we see that, what we can do now is jump through to the book of Hebrews and we'll have our next slide please. And we'll see there what Hebrews 10 tells us. We're going to read this at the, last, at the Lord's Supper. Hebrews 10 says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And this is the heart of it, congregation. When you see that court curtain torn in two from, from top to bottom, you are seeing figuratively what happened to Jesus' body on the cross. His body was torn, in quotation marks, just like the curtain to give us access, unlimited access, 24-7 access, direct access to the very person and throne of God himself. And friends, I want to ask you, have you ever been denied access? Perhaps you've stood on your front step and you've fumbled around in your bag or you've been patting your pockets and all of a sudden remember you've lost your keys and you can't get in. Or perhaps it's happened to you what happened to me just a week before last. We were out for coffee and it was lovely and I thought, oh, I must have some cake. Went back to get some cake, tried to pay for it with the card, wouldn't take it. Tried it again. 
wouldn't take it. And meanwhile, the line is building up. I had no access to my funds. That's embarrassing. That's difficult. But it's nothing compared to if you have no access to God. He doesn't love you. Your prayers are never heard. You are without God and without hope for all of eternity. That's terrible. And that's the reality. And I ask you, can anything be worse than that? Because you've got no hope of going to heaven when you die. There's no access. Because of your sin, you can't get in. But when you have access, that all changes. The door is open wide and his arms are open to receive you. Whoever you, excuse me, whoever you are, whatever you've done. When you're in the dark, and some of you know those times, where it seems that life has fallen apart and God is not there and he doesn't care. He is. He is there. When you mess up, and we need to be honest with one another about that, we all do. That's what our Lord's Supper is trying to tell us. We all mess up. When you have access, you can own your deepest failures. You can go to God and admit your darkest secrets. And you can know that he will not reject you. He will hold his arms out to you. He will call you to come to, come to him. And he will meet you with grace, with rescuing grace, with forgiving grace, with transforming grace. And I, I've... It's the band Third Day who put it like this, and I, I've not found a better way to put it. Listen to this. There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken heart. And there is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He will meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus, they sing. And we should too. And friends, this is good news. Is there any more relevant message for you and me and our neighbourhoods today? That is what we are seeing at this cursed cross of Jesus where we see not just the court curtain torn but Jesus' body torn for all who believe. That's no ordinary curtain. This is no ordinary cross. And there's one more thing our text says. It's not just about darkness and the curtain, but it's about death. Could I have the next slide, please? And we want to see how Jesus dies. And we want to learn from him. In verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, 
he breathed his last. Now, boys and girls, the first bit there, the bit that's in, uh, in the quotation marks, comes from Psalm 31. It was written by David, King David, at a time when he was in trouble. There were enemies, there was danger, there was hardship. And he prayed this prayer way back in the Old Testament because he knew one thing. When he was in God's hands, he was in safe hands. He was in good hands. And Jesus now takes this prayer and he prays it. But he adds one word. The word, Father. And he prays this prayer loudly. Now try to picture this. Try to picture Jesus like a child falling asleep in his father's arms and the father holds him tight and the child is at rest because he knows that there he's safe. There's no better place to be than in the hands of his father. So Jesus has done the work of salvation. He has paid the price of sin. He has satisfied the justice of God. But he's not yet finished. There's one more thing that must be done. In the words of Hebrews 2, he must suffer death so that he might taste death for us. And those words are so important. He would go through that dark, terrible valley. Why? So that he could be there to meet us when the time comes for us to walk that road. He would remove the sting of death, as Paul would later speak of it. Why? So we need not fear it in whatever shape or form death comes to us. He would destroy him who holds the power of death and he would put death to death. Why? So that we could look forward to the day when there will be no more funerals. Friends, I learned something again this week. Did you know that none of the gospel writers tell us that Jesus died? They never say that. John Stott says, and I find this so helpful, they do not want to give the impression that in the end death claimed him. And we see it here. Boys and girls, have a look. What happens after Jesus prays the words of Psalm 31? He breathes his last. It's just telling us that Jesus is not a helpless victim. He's the conqueror. He's conquered the enemy. He's drawn death's sting. And then he dies. Could we go back to the blank slide, please? We should learn from Jesus. He's a legend. 
We should learn not just how to live well, but we must learn how to die well. And I wonder, friends, have you ever stopped to think about that? How you will face death. What your attitude and demeanour will be on the day that death knocks at your door. It's an important question. Learn from Jesus. If Jesus trusted God, the God who laid on him the sin of the world, the God who plunged him into darkness, the God who forsook him, if Jesus trusted God, then so can we. And we must. Because it is only then that death will no longer be the wages of sin, but a door through which we pass to be with him in glory forever. And that is comfort. Friends, this is no ordinary cross. Please stop and survey it. Darkness, total darkness, so that you will never ever be under the judgment of God. A curtain torn, so you have access to God in all his grace and mercy. And a death in trust so that we can learn and say as the Apostle Paul did, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No ordinary cross. And I ask you, can anything be more important than the cross of Jesus Christ? Not just today, but always. Today, Focus on that cross and take it with you into the rest of your life. Live in the light of that cross. Die in the light of that cross. Encourage each other with this truth that Jesus' cross was no ordinary cross. And may God bless you as you do. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we come and we ask in the words of that most wonderful old hymn that we may not just pass by the cross today on our way to do other, other things, but we may stop and survey that cross to see again what you have done there. And what Jesus our Saviour has done for us so undeserving. And we do pray to you, our gracious Lord Jesus. We don't quite know how to put this. A thousand tongues would not be enough to sing our great Redeemer's praise. We simply ask that you would fill our hearts our heads and our lives with this truth. With it, 
we have everything we need for this life and the next. Without it, we are lost forever. We praise you for the wonder of your love. We ask now as we continue into this service with song and with the Lord's Supper that we may do so seeking above all else to bring you glory, honour and praise. Use our time together so that the gospel may advance and we be built up in faith, hope and love. Bring sinners to salvation and saints to stronger faith and bless our nation, we pray. We need it so much. For Jesus' sake, amen.